The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the lands that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on the two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the lands that you are going over to possess. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks, and I am privileged to be on staff here as one of the pastors. And I welcome you along with Joe. Excuse me, along with John this morning. Uh, We're glad that you're here. And if you're visiting with us, maybe you are here and you've dropped off your kiddos to college uh, this weekend. Uh, We're glad that you're worshiping with us this morning uh, as we gather together to worship our Lord in spirit and in truth. Uh, This morning, we come to the end of the first sermon that Moses delivers to the second generation of Israel. And this long trek, 40 years in the wilderness, is about over. And the opposing Amorite kings have been defeated east of the Jordan. They've already taken possession of that land, and they look forward to going even further. And so Moses concludes this first sermon by impressing upon God's people the importance of adhering to his word and his commands as they enter into the promised land. Because while the physical journey is coming to an end, The relational and spiritual journey with their God is ongoing, and so they must be taken seriously as they enter the land, heeding God's word. And as we'll see this morning from this text, God is calling his people to live out of their identity. 
And as recipients of his covenant love, a life of faithful obedience to their Redeemer will serve them well as they will be fruitful in this land that God has given them as they remain faithful. And so with that in mind, let's pray and let's ask the Spirit to tend to the Word of God that we might learn from it and be changed by it this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we are gathered yet again this Lord's Day and we're coming in with all different things on our minds and our hearts and some of us feel like the weather looks this morning. Uh, We are in darkness, our hearts uh, feel like they're in gloom, and Lord, we need to hear from your word this morning. We need to be reminded of your truth, reminded that you remain on your throne, and that you are work in our lives, bringing good for your glory. And so Lord, no matter where we're coming from and what we're coming into this place with, we ask that your spirit would bring a fresh renewal within our hearts, that we might leave this place differently because we've met with our Savior and he is changing us. Father, if you would do that, we will return thanks. And we pray all this in the matchless name of our Savior, King Jesus. Amen. Well, Counselor Ed Welch tells the story of his two-year-old grandson, Jack. Jack was over the moon. His gaga, my wife, he says, was coming to the house that morning after being away for a week. And Jack was standing watch at the window. He loves his gaga. And when she finally arrived, his pent-up love could no longer be restrained. He took his mother in hand and went up and and went to his grandmother to be picked up, and he gave them both a maximum embrace. Now came the more challenging part, he writes. He had expressed his effusive love in a physical way, but that wasn't enough. He wanted to speak his love. And for Jack, when something important is on his mind, it typically comes out haltingly. But there was no halting when Jack said, I will never go out into the street again without an adult. These words, he determined, were the perfect complement to his physical affection. And indeed, they were. As John writes in 1 John 5, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. See, love and obedience for Jack were connected. I love you so much and I will never go out into the street again without an adult were different words for the same desire. His delight in obedience was the most profound expression of love that he could imagine. As Moses exhorts the people to remain obedient as they enter in the land, may we all, like Jack, Find greater joy in surrendering to the wisdom of God as our expression of gratitude and love for his redemption of us in Jesus Christ. As you see in the back of your bulletin, our outline for this morning, we're going to look at two points related uh, to God's being obedient to God's word. First, from the standpoint of covenantal blessing, we'll see that obedience to God's word is good not only for ourselves, but also for those around us. And then secondly, from the standpoint of covenantal remembrance, as we'll see the need for diligently passing on God's word for the good of the next generation. So Moses identifies four covenantal blessings that result from faithful obedience to his commands. Land, life, law, and light. He says in verse 1, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Moses very clearly states that the people's obedience to God is a matter of life and death. 
See, the primary purpose for Israel to keep God's law is that so that they will live as they enter the land. And he will reiterate this exact same thing at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 30, when he says, if you obey the commands of the Lord that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commands, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land. Now let's be very clear this morning as we begin to look at the importance of obedience that we must see that God never tells Israel that their obedience earns or merits God's love or his affection of them. But God's provision of the land is not conditional. God graciously and unconditionally gifted Israel the land of Canaan, going all the way back to the covenant that he cut with Abraham and promised Abraham that he and his descendants would inherit that land. But in order for Israel to flourish, to thrive in this land that God was graciously giving them, it depended on their covenant faithfulness and loyalty to their God. Moses also warns the people are not to tamper with God's word in any way. Now why would God through Moses warn the people to remain obedient and not to change his word in any way? Why does he speak that to us even this morning as we read his word? It's because God knows our sinful hearts inclinations that we want to pick and choose from the scriptures what we'll obey and what we'll just gloss over and ignore. And if we attempt to add or subtract from God's word, then what we're doing is we're deceiving ourselves thinking that we're the ultimate authority over our lives. And we're seeking to create a God that we can control and a God that we can manage. And clear examples of this are the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They added all kinds of rules so that they could better obey and easier meet the bar that they were setting for themselves. Or the Sadducees on the other side who were subtracting and taking away from God's law. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't want to adhere to certain things. But God's word is clear to us. He says in Proverbs 30, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to these words, lest you be rebuked and you be found a liar. See, God knows the reality that all humans live in a fallen, broken world and culture. And think about all the ways that our culture influences us. From the way that we dress, from the things we listen to, from the way that we speak, We are constantly being pressured by the culture to conform to its ways. So we must realize that there's an ongoing spiritual battle for our hearts. And we must be vigilant to weigh everything in culture against the scriptures and not the other way around. And while culture is continually changing, God and his character of holiness never changes. Because his word tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Therefore, the word of God is our only solid foundation from which we can stand in order to engage with the world and the culture that God has called us to live. Moses then goes on to give an example of the devastating consequences that come from neglecting obedience to his word. He tells of the event that happened in Numbers 25 where many of the Israelite men were seduced by Moabite women into sexual sin and they were bowing down worshiping the God of Baal. And God sent a plague, killed 24,000 because of their disobedience. 
And Moses recounts this event to warn his people of the importance of their fidelity to their God. And then he reiterates the fact that those who did survive that event, the reason why they survived is because they remained obedient to him. Heartfelt obedience to the holiness of God is the only way to life and peace as the law of the Lord is the source of life. God gave his people life and wanted them to enjoy it by his design, which is why he gives us his word to instruct us in the way we are called to live. And then in verse five, you see Moses tells of the covenant blessing of land if they would enjoy it by God's design by remaining faithful to him. They would live long, they would prosper in the land as long as they came under the authority of the rule of their king. Now we have to remember though that before God gives his people the law, remember he walked them through the judgment waters of the the Red Sea, bringing them safely onto the other side. And the Ten Commandments that are given soon after Israel's deliverance, they don't begin with a list of do's and don'ts. No, they begin with a declaration from God of his unique and saving work upon his people. In the very next chapter, Deuteronomy 5, he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God begins with a reminder of who he is and his gracious acts towards his people. And only then, after that, does he give them the law, that they might enjoy life with him in a flourishing relationship and might be fruitful in the land that they were entering. In this passage, we see that the law displays God's righteousness and displays his nearness to his people. And these are very things that are essential for life. The law was a light unto Israel's path, but see, the pagan nations didn't have that light. They didn't have a God to cling to, and so therefore they had no hope of salvation like Israel. And as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, the word of God is to be the rule of faith and life for the believer. This means we, if we live in submission and obedience to the truth that has been revealed in God's word, then we will be wise and we will have understanding. Proverbs 9 says, respect and obey the Lord. This is the beginning of wisdom. Children, teenagers, to put it very simply, obeying God, God's word shows us to be wise. But here's the problem. The problem is we are suspicious of rules, of any kinds of constraints put on us, aren't we? Going all the way back in the garden, when the serpent twisted the truth, did God really say that? And Adam and Eve took the bait and gave in to sin. From that moment on, we have bought into a lie that freedom is in the absence of rules and constraints. Teenagers, this is why when your parents give you any rule, It feels like they're squelching your quest for freedom. But in reality, they're giving you that rule or that constraint because they deeply love you and they want what's best for you. Well, to a much greater degree and even more so, God's law reveals his steadfast and abiding love for his children. He gives his word for our good and our protection so that we can actually live the most full and free life possible. Now suppose a skydiver at 10,000 feet announces, I'm not going to use a parachute today. I want to be free. Now the fact is that that skydiver is constrained by a greater law, and that law is called gravity. 
But when she decides to choose to put on the constraint of the parachute, she's free to enjoy the exhilaration from falling from 10,000 feet from the sky. That constraint gives her freedom. But contrary to the messaging and TV and internet and the movies we watch and the TV shows and everything else that says freedom that our hearts are longing for is only found outside of any kind of rules and constraints. When in reality, it's found underneath the lordship and submission of Christ. As the embodiment of truth, Jesus alone gives freedom and life, which paradoxically comes through submission. Not through trying to get out from underneath his authority. Each command that has been given by God is a signpost that is pointing to Jesus, the one who actually gives us freedom and can forgive our sins. Our submission and obedience to Jesus shows forth the evidence that we are actually his children. Because obedience is always seen in the greater context of a relationship. Often we can view obedience with a negative connotation and associate it with legalism. Well, I mean, I don't want to be a legalist, so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to err on the side of grace. Yes, it's a both and, because Jesus himself, who came to show the pathway to life, submitted himself underneath the law in order to fulfill it perfectly, not to do away with it. And he did it with joy, not begrudgingly, obeying his Father. And Jesus says himself in Matthew 7, he says, the wise person hears my words and does them. Notice he didn't say the wise person hears my words and nods in agreement. No, they put them into action by applying them to their lives. God has recreated us as his children to be distinctly different from the world around us. That we'd be marked by virtues of love and joy and peace and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit. How seriously are we investing in our sanctification? Are we consistently immersing ourselves in the scriptures and daily asking the Spirit to apply these truths to our lives so that we are transformed? In our lives, bearing forth the Spirit-filled fruit that flows from obedience to Jesus. Do we really believe and trust that in submission to Jesus really is where life and joy is found? What if instead of exhausting ourselves from trying not to be ruled by anything or anyone, we actually submitted ourselves unto the one that we were called to love and to serve with all our hearts? How would that transform our marriages? How would that transform the way we relate to our classmates or our neighbors or our children? Let us strive by the Spirit's power to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, believing that the fruit of holiness is truly far better than anything that this world can offer us. Furthermore, Moses reveals that obedience to the law has broader implications than just for Israel. Israel's adherence to the law stands to impact the surrounding nations by being a light to the nations, revealing their wisdom and their knowledge that they possess because of their God. The law made Israel unique as a great nation. She's different precisely because she has the living God as her king and she has his word as her guide to lead her. And as Israel obeys, the nations then begin to ask questions. They begin to wonder and look at Israel and say, they're administering justice. 
to the poor, to the needy. Look at how they relate to one another in love. Look at the way they're impacting society and the economy for good. And the nations will see the intimacy that Israel has with their God as he draws near to them to be with them as opposed to the pagan nations whose gods were aloof and they were not personal with them. And so as Israel obeys, they would fulfill their role that God made the promise to Abraham that they would be a blessing to all the nations around them. And for the believer in Christ, this still holds true for us today. As we keep our soul diligently in tune with the gospel and we learn to fear him rightly, we will be transformed by this living and active word that he's given to us. And then others will take notice. They'll see the light of Christ coming from our lives and they will ask questions and they will wonder what is different about us. And so for example, students, as you go about your work and you do it with diligence, not cutting corners, or you treat your classmates with respect as opposed to bullying them, and gossiping about them, then you shine forth the light of Christ and you become a covenantal blessing in their lives. Or when we see others, we don't cancel them because their political views are different than ours or their socioeconomic status is different than ours. But we show hospitality. We give them value because they're made in the image of God and we show forth the character of Christ and we become a blessing in their lives. And then as these coworkers and classmates and family members see what God is doing in our lives, we can begin to tell them the good news about this great Savior who saves great sinners even like us and who can save them as well. The question that's been convicting of my own heart all week is the reality of asking myself, do others see Christ in my life? Does my life reflect something radically different than the offerings of this world? We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to surrender and submit ourselves unto the truth of God's word so that he might use us in the lives of those around us? In verses 9 through 14, Moses speaks of covenantal remembrance. Notice there he says, keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Israel is to diligently recount God's faithful acts to their children as they instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And so as parents, we are called to hold out God's truth, his ways, and remind our children so that they can know of this God that we have come to have a relationship with, that they might too encounter the living God. And we're to do this not simply so they gain biblical knowledge and can tell us about Bible stories. We do it so that they can come to a personal knowledge of this loving and powerful God. The goal of biblical parenting is greater than external obedience. It's so that our children in the coming generations might not forget God and and set their hope and trust on him, as Psalm 78 tells us. And in holding out the truths of God's word and recounting stories of his faithfulness to our children, what happens is something happens to us as we do this. As we're telling our children about King Jesus, we're reminding ourselves of these truths again and again as well. And they can impact our own hearts in a fresh way. Not only do our children hear of who God is, but we're also reminding ourselves. How often are we telling our children about God's past faithful acts of his mercy and grace in our own lives? 
in the lives of their grandparents, in the lives of the gone before them, in the lives of those throughout church history so that they can hear and taste of God's goodness? Are we teaching God's word and calling them to obedience, not simply to make our lives easier as parents, but so that they can actually experience a life of joy and fulfillment? How are we doing as a church? Engaging with our covenant children and teenagers, not just on Sunday morning, on Sunday school, and on Wednesday nights, but how are we as adults engaging as we see our covenant children and teenagers in the community, pointing them to Jesus, reminding them of what God's doing and his work in our own lives? See, Israel, if they don't repeat all that they experience and all they've seen to the next generation, then what happens is they stand to lose their distinctiveness, their influence, and worse, their experience of God's nearness. And likewise, if we as Christians don't renew our minds and hearts by letting the word of God impact all we do and say, we stand to stray from God's truth as well. Our children need to hear of the greatness of our God. Beginning in verse 10, Moses recounts Israel's experience at Mount Sinai where they received the law and they witnessed this incredible demonstration of God's power. This covenant-making event that they experienced on the mountain there, where they're never to forget this because this was the defining moment of God's people belonging to Yahweh, being his own possession. And Moses reminds them in verse 12, he says, the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. Now this is significant, we can gloss over this, but it's very significant what Moses is saying here because as we know, the, the confession tells us that God is a spirit, he doesn't have a body like man. We can't reduce God down to what we can imagine and what we can fashion with our own hands. God's people heard him speak, but they did not see him. God reveals through speech, not through images like the pagan gods do. And so Israel, as they go into the land of Canaan, were going to be faced with hundreds and hundreds of idols that they were going to be tempted to bow down and give their affection and their worship to. But in order for them to conquer and retain this land, they had to look to the God they couldn't see, but the God who had spoken clearly to them. See, on Mount Sinai, they received a law that they could never live up to perfectly. But thousands of years later, on another mount, on Mount Calvary, God came in the flesh in the form of his son who lived a perfect life and died for sinners. He was then raised from the dead accomplishing everything that we couldn't do so that we could have everlasting life and the saving knowledge of God our Father. And so therefore we must be diligent. We must be diligent to guard our hearts with the truth of the gospel lest we give in to the idols of this world that are vying for our attention and vying for our affection. Moses closes this section exhorting Israel to remember what they've heard. Truth is, every one of us, we're a forgetful people. If I don't write it, if I don't put it in my phone, I don't remember it. We struggle with forgetting. Procopius, who was a historian at the time of the Justinian plague back in the 6th century that killed some 30 million people, was writing on the effects of the plague and he wrote this. He said, it caused them to shake off the unrighteousness of their daily lives and practice the duties of religion with diligence. But then sadly, he goes on to note, as soon as they were rid of the disease, they went right back to their old ways. Does that sound familiar? 
It was for me, as I read that, thinking back to the thoughts and the discussions of how the force changes during COVID had us thinking about how we could start new rhythms and new changes in our lifestyle. But oh, how quickly those COVID promises and aspirations went out the window when normalcy returned. We are a forgetful people, and therefore, we must remind ourselves and be intentional in doing so. And one of the ways that we can remind one another is doing exactly what we're doing right now, gathering on Sunday morning on the Lord's Day in corporate worship together, reminding ourselves of King Jesus and his resurrection. And as we gather, we remember our identity as his redeemed children and the mission that he has called us to undertake in the power of his spirit. And while we dwell on God's saving acts of his faithfulness into us in the past, we also have to remember his promises that he's made to us in the future. A day that's coming where there will be no more disappointment, no more suffering, no more pain, no more depression, no more sin as Jesus returns. So we have to remember that because right now we see through a mirror dimly, but on that day we will see face to face as our faith will become sight. Remembering both God's past faithfulness and his future promises, that's the first step for us to enjoy his present faithfulness to us right now. One pastor writes regarding remembrance, he says this, he says, God's words are revelations of God from God for our redemption. When we actually remember God, we do not sin. The only way we ever sin is by suppressing God, by forgetting him, by tuning out his voice and listening to other voices. When we actually remember, we actually change. We are called to active and intentional remembering of God's goodness and of his truth. And as we rightly understand our privileged calling to walk in obedience to the one who's given all for our sake, We can say with confidence those words of the song, out of our bondage, sorrow and night, into his freedom, gladness and light. Then we'll experience joy and freedom like we never have before. Let me close with this quote. Obeying the Lord becomes a joyful privilege when you realize that his commands are an expression of his love, an assurance of his strength, invitations to his blessing, opportunities to grow and bring him glory, occasions to enjoy his love and fellowship as we seek to please him. God's word is the open door to the treasury of his grace. Brothers and sisters, let us boldly walk by faith in humble submission to the call of God that we might enjoy his covenant blessings as we shine forth the light of truth wherever he calls us to go in darkness. Let's pray. Father, we are a forgetful people, but we thank you that you've entrusted us with your word and that you've come with your word in flesh and that you have done what we could never do, that you have undone the curse by fulfilling the law perfectly, dying in our place that we might be free, that we might live in obedience And Lord, would you assure us that that obedience coming under your submission is the pathway to life and flourishing. Would you forgive us for the ways that we settle, clinging our hearts to the created things of this world that will not satisfy and that will ultimately leave us into bondage. And Father, would you help us to tell the next generation 
of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they too might come to saving knowledge just as we have come by your grace. Father, we ask that you would do these things because we need to be reminded day in and day out so that we hold fast to your truth and that we can shine forth like lights in a world of darkness, pointing people to the great and powerful King, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in the matchless name of our Savior, the one who's a great Savior for great sinners like ourselves. Amen.